Welcome to the Healthy Insider Podcast, where we help supplement and functional food brands create better products. Today's host is Todd Runstead, Senior Editor. Hi, this is Todd Runstead. I am here speaking with Eric Goldman. Eric is the Editor-in-Chief of Holistic Primary Care for 20 years so far. Nice work, Eric. You really connect the, uh, the larger natural products industry, really the supplements industry, I suppose, um, with uh, progressive holistic primary care people as your title suggests, right? Yeah, basically we're trying to build a bridge between the natural products world, natural medicine world, and the mainstream medical world, bring everybody together. So that's good. Uh, let's talk about everyone's favorite front plant, um, cannabis, and which includes recreational, medicinal, includes CBD, um, and any other minor cannabinoids, all of it. What is the reception that you get from the medical angle. Is mm. this being embraced? Is medical marijuana embraced by medical practitioners? Yes and no. I mean, it's a spectrum. There's a bell curve for sure. Um, I'm sure there's many mainstream conventionally trained doctors that are still pretty negative toward cannabis and cannabis-related compounds, cannabis-derived compounds. But there are many, especially in the holistic and functional and integrative world, who are embracing it for sure and have for years. I mean, some of them have been leading the charge on this. So, you know, it's across the board, just like any other thing. Um, but I would say, yes, there's definitely a segment of the medical community that's on board with it. Yeah. No question. So, well, let me question that. How do you how do you know? Uh, uh, don't you do don't you conduct surveys of your audience? There? We do. Do you have yeah. data? Yes, we do have data. Would Mike Bloomberg be pleased to know uh, that you're a data led organization? Uh, absolutely. In fact, you know, I'm going to call Mike right after we finish this and tell he's him. He's got some free time on his hands. Yeah, yeah. Now that he's not running for president anymore. Um, yeah, we do surveys. We've been surveying our community of practitioners for uh, since 2010, so it's about 10 years now. And um, we started asking questions about cannabis and CBD, um, I want to say three, four years ago, and we've certainly seen some some growth. Um, I'm happy to share some numbers with you. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, in our 2019 survey, uh, which fielded last March, right about now, um, we learned that uh, we had the question, do you currently recommend CBD to your patients? Mm -hmm. um, we were focusing more on CBD because that's really, from a medical perspective, that's where the action is. Um, so 54% said that they are currently recommending CBD. And this, this is a survey of about 350 practitioners, and about a third of them are conventionally trained medical doctors. So just to kind of give you a sense of who these people are. Mm -hmm. So 54% are recommending non-prescription CBD products. And 17% said they're recommending um, both the prescription Epidiolex and the non-RX products. Really? And then um, another 15% said no, but they're considering, which is, I think, a very promising sign. And uh, only 14% said, like, no, and I have no plans to get involved with CBD. So mm -hmm. um, at least with our audience, we know that a lot of them are, are using or recommending CBD to their patients in some way. Interesting. And, so what are they recommending it for? Is it for all the things that you hear that it's being used for, you know? I would say, yeah, There's a, it's the expected uh, indications. Chronic pain was number one at 86%, uh -huh. um, stress and anxiety 82%, uh, 
82%. Insomnia and sleep problems was 82%. Low back pain, 58%. And when you get into some of the more esoteric, ones. more but, but serious those are big numbers there. Yeah, so th numbers. those are like the big three, like the, the pain, the anxiety, the sleep. Yeah, we right? also saw 21% are recommending for multiple sclerosis. That's a pretty interesting. Wow. Um, GI problems, 31%. So, you know, they are using it for a wide range of things. I would say using it, recommending it is more the appropriate. Right. Word. You certainly can't use the word prescribing. Well, actually, you can in the In the, in the case, case of epidiolex, you yeah. can. But what was interesting is we had some qualitative responses where, you know, we have questions where we ask the doctors for verbatim comments. And the attitudes about um, epidiolex are... are you know, so some some of these practitioners are pretty critical of it. Like one one person wrote in and said, um, "I think Epidiolex is a single CBD compound. It's big pharma's way of getting into the cannabis market, and it ignores the the power of whole plant therapy." So you know, a lot of the practitioners who are into integrative and functional holistic medicine, um, they do to some extent subscribe to this idea of the entourage effect. They often have a lot of experience with other botanical medicine, so they're on board with this idea that plant medicines have a spectrum of effect, you know, spectrum right. of compounds that are effective. It's not just a single bullet, single molecule cure kind of thing. Um, so, you know, I think there's a segment of practitioners who are pretty knowledgeable about this stuff. That's really great. So, I mean, it really opens up a whole new avenue in healing, a, 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 an official lane, I suppose, if you will. For, you know, forever it was an, an underground sort of mm -hmm. thing that people would use and maybe they wouldn't think of it medicinally, although maybe they did. But now that we're in this new era of, of wide-scale acceptance, you know, bring, you know, bringing the plant back into, mm -hmm. into the land of into the living. Into the fold of, 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 of actual medicine. Yes, I think yeah. this is true. There are very definitely still stigmas associated with it and legal and regulatory issues to be worked out. There's also some state-by-state -state variation. Like some states are very tolerant. Obviously, here in California, Colorado, etc., there's states that are very tolerant of all forms of cannabis. There are other states that are very intolerant. And honestly, right. practitioners there are nervous about getting engaged with um, even if they're personally supportive of the idea of cannabis medicine, they're reluctant because they're concerned what their state medical boards are going to do, or you know, is there going to be any medical legal fallout from their engagement with it? So, you know, I think there's still some issues to be worked out, but for sure we're seeing a shift, and I think it's part of a larger shift. Honestly, there's um, a whole movement within mainstream psychiatry toward psychedelics, toward um, right. You know the use of psilocybin, the use right, of for PTSD is kind of leading the way. PTSD, um, end of life issues. You know, as people are dying, you know, they're, they're and and they're. I mean, Johns Hopkins Medical Center, medical school. You know, major major center. They got a grant. I want to say it was like seven million or ten million dollars. It was a significant donation from some private investors or donors who want to see a psychedelic medicine research center at Hopkins. So that's underway. There's work at NYU underway. Um, there are a number of medical doctors, psychiatrists, conventionally trained people who are saying, like, no, this needs to be taken seriously. This is the vanguard of where psychiatry is going. Um, and I think that's pretty interesting and pretty promising. So, you know, it's part of a whole wave of movement that's that's going on. Right, right, right. Freeing the plants. You know. Freeing the plants. You know, freeing our, really freeing our minds toward different approaches to medicine. Yeah, and, and I mean, medicine from the practitioner channel and just healing and healthcare for people. 
when you think about you know stress, anxiety, and sleep, it seems like these are more postmodern states, if you will. It, it's why you know the adaptogen category has really exploded in the last 10 years. It's it's to address these kind of you know overstressed first world problems, <laughs> mm. you know. And and hey, now we have some interesting um, botanicals to address it mm. that that don't have the the onerous aspect of pharmaceuticals that everyone you know shies away. It's like, oh, okay, if it's really acute, I guess I'll go there. But the side effects scare me off. Mm. You know, the, the only what, what's the side effect of a psychedelic? You know, maybe maybe you didn't think you liked God, but there he is in front of you <laughs> in your belly. Button. Well, I wouldn't say they're completely without side effects. I mean, let's be honest. You know, people can have bad experiences or damaging yeah. experiences. Like a day job encore. Potential, <laughs> potential. Um, for abuse. I mean, it, it, you know, we don't want to downplay the realities that any of these substances can be misused, overused, wrongly used. Um, but I think what's really going on is there's a a recognition that that health is more than the absence of disease. So, for example, yeah. to use the example of you know sleep problems or chronic stress, these are not really quote diseases. And yet they affect our health in very adverse ways. And I think the medical community is starting to catch up with the consumer community to realize that like the ultimate goal here is is health and well-being, not just absence of um, symptoms or biomarkers like cholesterol and insulin and things that go out of whack. You know, those, by the way, are also stress, somewhat stress-related. Um, certainly stress and inflammation go together, and those are major drivers of all the official diseases. But there's this whole interesting world of conditions that are not quite diseases. And I feel like this is where the natural medicine world really has a lot to bring to the table. And the mainstream medical community is starting to realize that because you really can't treat stress with pharmaceuticals. Gee, I wonder about that though, you know, because that's, you know, the mainstream physicians, you're either you either have something that you can be identified as, as a disease state, or you're not, or you're just fine. Now, now, of course, we're talking about that that mm. that that place in between. You know, like the the daily value, the old RDA. Yeah, yeah. That's just the minimal <laughs> yeah. amount you need to stave off a deficiency right. disease. Well, there's a difference, but like there's that mm. there's that breadth of space in between not having a disease state and optimal living, you know, when you mm. feel your, your, your very best. And so that's what we're talking about when we yeah. talk about stress and anxiety. It's like, okay, well, I'm not, it's not a disease. Right, right. But it, I'm uncomfortable. I'm not, I'm not living my best life. Sure, and it gets know? into this whole question of really what is a disease? And I don't know if you've seen this great book that came out a couple of years ago by Jeffrey Bland called The Disease Delusion. It's an excellent book. I highly yeah, recommend Jeff it for Brand anybody. Yeah, he's one a, of the most brilliant people that I know. Yeah, he's he's one of the truly smartest people on the planet, and uh, and it's an interesting book because his his basic premise is that diseases are not entities. They're not a, there's no there's no like thing object called diabetes. Diabetes is is a set of explanations for why certain biological functions go out of whack, and so all these diseases that we've named are really just explanations or stories for why biology is imbalanced and but the underlying issues are these imbalances in these these physiological imbalances and so the whole thrust of healthcare well-being care is to restore balance which is not a new idea it's right. an ancient idea in chinese you know, medicine, after all, disease is just dis dis-ease. dis-ease yeah you know? 
but we've because of the coding system, and you know anybody who's dealt with insurance, like you realize there's these codes for all these different diseases. Right. And the doctors have to put in a code, and then right, right. based on that code, the insurance says, well, you can have this or this or this treatment. But that has to do with the financing of medical treatments. It doesn't really have to do with the actuality of physiology right. and how nature works. So there's a really big disconnect between how our healthcare system runs and what actually happens in our bodies and our psyches and, and you know our environment. And I think what's happening is we're reaching this crossroads where a lot of us as patients, people, ordinary people, and certainly a lot of practitioners are realizing like they're realizing, recognizing this disconnect and going like, hey, we need to rethink this. And so back to where we started with the whole cannabis and herbal medicine in general, that creates a, a, a field where you can reasonably ask those questions and potentially come up with right. newer and better solutions. So, I mean, how interesting is it that medical marijuana was declared uh, a medicine, not by physicians, but by voters, by voters, by the people? Starting right here in California, mm -hmm. you know, and and I mean the FDA, the, the gatekeeper of all medicaments here in this country, they they were summarily said, oh no, no, this has nothing to do with you, and so now here they are, having lost the plant, mm. grappling with CBD that has exploded in their midst, and and uh, you know so. Well, this is an interesting question from a regulatory point of view. You know, many people in our field have said, well, why is this different from any other herb except that it had the history of being vilified and right. criminalized? Um, but then, would you make that same case for opium? I mean, that comes from a poppy, that's a plant. So this, this idea of... It's a little more good, processed, I guess. Good plants and evil plants. You know, it's like pick a bud off a, off a plant. You can't make that illegal. It's a, it's a flower. On a plant. You can't make that illegal, it. but once you process it, so it's the same question with, with cannabis. Why was it made illegal in the first place? And you know, there's a whole set of political history around right, that, right, which right. we won't get into. Um, we will, but that's for another podcast. That's for another podcast. <laughs> um, so the question of like, what is this? And then when you start extracting single molecules out of a plant like cannabis, in this case we're talking about CBD, but there's plenty yeah. of other cannabinoids which will be extracted and right. potentially turned into pharmaceuticals. Um, at what point is it no longer natural? You know, and that and that's a question that I think when it becomes uh, a pharmaceutical, when it becomes an isolated compound, single chemical. Okay, so but then molecule. so but so then you're making the case that CBD really should be pharmaceutical because it actually is a well, I mean, and that's certainly the FDA's position, and yeah. they've they've been unwavering about that. They're right, like, right, right. We don't well, think it's and, a dietary so, supplement ingredient. And, but then if, if if you're not, if you're a full spectrum or broad spectrum hemp oil extract, right. and then you're not even even if you have. You know, I mean, what was what was declared a drug was like a 90, 95 percent pure. Yeah, pure. yeah. But where so, the, where where it gets wiggly though is that the, oh yeah, you know, obviously people are borrowing the science from that ninety five percent pure right. extract or, or well, single, and, single and, molecule. And then there, or or you you have an oil extract, and then they're adding in some isolate to, to yeah to standardize the levels. You know, which is like great, you're standardizing the levels, but by adding a single chemical constituent molecule, a la you know. A pharmaceutical one. And yeah. Again, that's a topic for another day yeah. on the, you know, how the politics of that goes. But uh, yeah, I mean, to me, the interesting, the, the question around CBD versus whole plant extract of cannabis raised a much bigger question of 
will that mindset be applied to other herbs? So is curcumin a single molecule extract out of turmeric? Yeah, yeah. And by that logic, by by the CBD versus cannabis logic, it should be a, a pharmaceutical. So, like, right, is the FDA right. going to go that route right. at some point? We don't know. I kind of think not. They've got their hands full. But from a purely logical point of view, that would make sense. Right. Um, I'm, and, and it's happened before. I mean, you have, <laughs> you have DHA, uh, you know, Lovaza. Uh huh. You know, high dose. Yeah, yeah, that was interesting. Or, or EPA. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah. So from time to time, they've tried to do that, sort of pharmaceuticalize yeah. a something that well, was and, a supplement. And, okay, and so this gets to to the whole reductionist aspect mm-hmm. of the supplements world, of the natural health world, mm-hmm. when when we are sort of talking about dealing with symptoms just through a natural compound. Mm-hmm versus dealing with, okay, well, let's look at this holistically. What is causing these right. things? And let's get at what it's really all about, you know? Um, it, it seems like we go both ways in, in the natural world. You know? Yeah, yeah, sure. to standardize things and, uh, and address specific um, aspects of diseases, you know, symptoms. And then, and then you have other, you know, holistic practitioners who they will sit down and talk to you, and it's like, okay, well, I can get rid of your headache by giving you aspirin or white willow bark, or right. you know, rub up against an aspirin tree, salicylic acid. <laughs> right. You know, I'm we're Colorado, we do these things, and uh, but why are you having that? Headache? Right. You know. Yeah, and and the why question is is the really. That's a big one that doesn't fit easily into our medical model. And what you're talking about here, it, it's showing up in a very interesting way now in the, the functional medicine world where you have these kind of, I want they're not exactly mutually exclusive, but they're these kind of conflicting imperatives. On the one hand, you want personalization. You know, we want to personalize the medicine. We want to personalize the the approach because everybody's different. So even if you have like 10 people and they all have headaches, they may have headaches for different reasons and it brought on by different things, different triggers. And at the same time, we're also calling for standardization. We want everything to be standardized so that we know that the effect is going to be predictable. Mm. And so how do companies navigate between that and how do we as consumers navigate between that? Because we want consistency of product, Mm. but we don't want just the -the off-the-shelf solution because why is that different from pharmaceutical? It's just like a one-size-fits-all thing. And and this is a really deep underlying dynamic. Um, By the way, we're going to be discussing this. um, This is one of the topics at our Practitioner Channel Forum in April. because it really does play out in this personalized medicine space, you know, like the personalization versus standardization. And it is, I think, to some extent, the, the industry, our industry, has followed the, the guidelines laid down by pharmaceutical, which is at the end of the day, you know, you've got this problem, and you're trying to find this solution to this problem, and you want to make that as simple as possible, kind of a plug-and-play yeah. model. So it's really what some people like to call green allopathy. So, yeah, you're using... You know, you're using a turmeric extract instead of a prescription COX-2 inhibitor to deal with your inflammation, but why is someone, why are you inflamed? Um, it's still not really dealing with root causes. So maybe you could say it's better because it doesn't have the side effects of the drug, but eh, can we really prove that? I don't know. Yeah. You know, um, 
So yeah, I think that's a really worthy question that everybody in this field needs to take up. Like, are we really that different from what we say we're an alternative to? Right. Um, and maybe it's not wrong. Maybe in some cases, symptomatic relief is really the thing someone needs. But then let's just uh, say that we're holier than thou. <laughs> right, know? right. It's well, so, so let, let's finish this up with, with one final question, because here we are uh, at Expo Rest. Expo Rest. Expo Rest yes. 2020. And, and, you know, it would seem that uh, in, in the shadow of this pandemic, if mm. we want to go there, I, I think, the I think that is. The coronavirus would be a pandemic, would it not? You know, it's well, a global yeah, I think thing. it's been officially called a pandemic. Yeah, now. right. So the, the question is, of all of the industries to have a trade show that gets canceled, you postponed. Would, postponed. Beg your pardon. <laughs> Sorry, Fred. Uh, you would think that that the industry of preventive health, of mm-hmm. optimal mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of feeling, you know, these are the people who they know that you know. What, what's the phrase? It's not the territory, but it's the, it's, it's not it's not the the um, pathogen. It's the terrain. Yeah, yeah the yeah, terrain yeah. theory. Right, yeah. right, right. And so so wait a minute. So does this mean that just simple pandemic paranoia trumps anything or no is the question anything. is the question yeah lowercase t or is it that this this preventive health movement less than otc products we this stuff really doesn't actually work when push comes to shove you're not going to take it when you start to get a cold you're not really going to believe in the echinacea but you're just going to go to the pharmaceutical give me the antibiotic doc you know, because this stuff doesn't actually work because, you know, there's this big outpouring of, yeah, yeah, you sure, know, preventive sure. health, sure. you know, people saying, ah, let's run away, let's not do it. Or, or is it legitimate? Well, know? I think it's, I mean, I hear you. In is a it a legitimate sense, pandemic when you're giving away a, a million little bites of food, you know, that is just waiting yeah, to be caught? Yeah, exactly. I think, I think it's, in a certain sense, it is a bit of a test of faith for our industry. Do we really believe in the strength of our resilient immune systems because we've been living the clean, healthy life and taking our appropriate supplements? And um, Yeah, there is a test of faith. And at the same time, when you're talking about a trade show with 80,000 people coming from all over the world, and like you say, sampling out tiny bits of food, this is, you know, a number of people have pointed this out on social media, and it was part of the outcry um, to and the, the, the case for uh, postponing the expo, you know, these samples out and handheld little bits of food being given right. and taken and eating. and um, It's a high-risk activity. It's a high-risk situation. So I, I don't think it was a wrong decision to to postpone the expo. Um, but at the same time, yes, it does beg the question of how much do we believe in our medicine. And, you know, at this point, we you know, we don't know. There's There's in vitro evidence for certain types of natural products, like I've been reading a bit about stinging nettle, mm-hmm. um, there's in vitro evidence for oil of oregano and any of those kind of yeah. thymol containing uh, herbs that they may have antiviral effects against certain types of coronavirus. Sure. But this is a new virus. We haven't done the research, so nobody really knows what may or may not work. I mean, people are talking about vitamin D. Well, are, and, and in, in China, I understand they're undergoing a short study right now as we speak with intravenous vitamin C. It's known vitamin as an C, yeah, I heard about that. You know, we're, we're talking 60 grams, 45, 60 grams. You know, so you sit there and you get an IV in mm-hmm. for 45 minutes or an hour. And, you know, I mean, these are... <laughs> these are... Uh, 
quite a bit more than supplement yeah, doses. Yeah, absolutely no question. You know, and so d does that make vitamin C all of a sudden, you know, some sort of pharmaceutical? Well, you know, well, when you're doing natural, anything IV, it's it's it questionable becomes, whether it's still in, you know, it's not a supplement anymore. Right. Um, but you know, the question of what what might work, what does our industry have to offer for immune system strength? Um, are there any of these compounds that are really truly antiviral against this virus? We don't really know. Mm. Uh, I, I saw something about selenium, for example, you know, the, the selenium deficiency predisposes people to infections like coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Again, hard yeah. to prove. Right. Um, I think we all do need to be prudent. But at the same time, we have to put this into perspective because uh, there's 100 and, I don't know, we even have 200 cases in the U.S. at this point. And counting. Um, of a population of 330 million people, and we're talking about the total death rate so far with this virus worldwide has been, what, 3,500, 30, 30, maybe 4,000? I mean, I'm not diminishing that. If yeah. it's you, if it's your family, it's a really serious thing. But on a sheer numbers basis, even if it's double that, I mean, we're talking about a popular world population of right. 7.5 billion. Right. So, yeah. but you know, there, it's and there's it's so many days, other you know? things as well. You know, there was a really interesting Give thing the virus a chance, man. The, no, and I don't mean to diminish it. We have to be careful, but at the same time, somebody pointed out, and this is this is really worth thinking about, that air pollution, and this this is from a, a World Bank funded study, that air pollution is responsible. The consequence of air pollution is directly responsible for like something like four million deaths worldwide a year. But we don't stop the global economy for that. We don't, you know, shut down entire countries for that. We don't quarantine borders for that. We don't like say, hey, we need billions of dollars in funding to mitigate air pollution. We just go about our business, ignore it, and say, yeah, so a few million people die because if they get really sick from air pollution. What is, what's the big deal? But this, for some reason, creates this, you know, grinding halt of, yeah. you know, entire sectors of the global economy and. I don't know. It's, it, it's just a funny thing how we as humans do or don't perceive risk. It's like a shark attack is so much more freaky than the reality that you're probably going to die from heart disease or something. Right. You know, we worry about shark attacks. I don't know. It, it, Sharks don't get cancer. So then say. <laughs> don't know how they proved that. But. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, you know, let's just keep it at that. Let's just keep it at that, but, um, yeah, you, you know. know. Uh, the, the conversations keep coming, uh, the, the, the knowledge keeps getting formed, uh, the investigations keep happening, and it's all very interesting. Um, Eric, thanks yep. for taking the time here uh, in California at Expo Rest. Expo Rest. Thank you, Todd. It's my first Toddcast, and I'm thrilled to be part and, of it. And so your practitioner forum, or what's the website? If yeah, practitioner channel forum. That's www.tpcforum.com. There you go. all about it. Sounds good. All right. Thanks. See you next time. Thank you for listening to a Healthy Insider Podcast, now available on Apple Podcasts or through Google Play. Subscribe now to never miss an episode.